Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome back Gregory Perry to the podcast. Welcome back. Thank you, James. So, Greg, those that are not familiar with you, you are a capacity assurance consultant with Fluke Reliability. Those of you that have had the privilege of meeting you, whether listening to you at conferences or meeting you at conferences, um, you speak on reliability topics on a regular basis, you're active on LinkedIn, you're always doing something with reliability. Although super brief, is there anything else uh, you want to toss in there from an intro standpoint? No, absolutely not. Just happy to be here, James. Um, you know, it, when you, when you say being active, uh, I encourage anybody to be active. It's called a community of practice. So, super excited to invite me on this podcast today. All right, excellent. Now, I remember the first time I met you, and it was at an SMRP event years ago. I think I was still a practitioner at the time, um, and I sat through a couple of your presentations. You know, they made me think. And I think every time we talk, once again, you make me think, do I have a good understanding of this? Do I need to think about this differently or are we aligned, right? It always ends up being a good conversation. And over that period of time, you've spent a lot of time with asset criticality. And I think that's what we're here to talk about today. What is asset criticality and why is it so important for organizations? Well, you know, you mentioned my title. And that title was uh, not given to me by fluke, was um, not handed down to me by anybody other than, and I don't like to do name drops, but I sat in, because I was, I was going after my CMRP certification, and so I decided what better person to sit in for three days and listen and talk about maintenance reliability principles and concepts than the very on Ramesh Galati. And Ramesh talking about this particular one um, word called capacity. Capacity, capacity, capacity. And then he would say assurance from time to time. And I had the epiphany and it just dawned on me that this is really, we, we want to look at reliability. And of course we learn who's responsible for reliability, right? It's, it's not just maintenance. It's not just operations. It's not just the business office. It's not just procurement. It's everybody, right? All the way from the CEO to the sweeper, as they say. And when we look at, well, then whose responsibility is it for capacity assurance? Well, it's everybody's. Once again, we're a collective, okay? Reliability is not just one. And so on this topic, segue over to asset criticality, yes, that is something that's important. And one thing that I've learned um, from studying many different doctrines, I guess, is what I call them. So you know, whether you're um, of a CMRP doctrine or whether you're of a certified reliability leader doctrine or if you're um, any of the other 
um, certification doctrines that are out there that are within maintenance and reliability, um, they, they all pretty much say the same thing when it comes to where does it begin, right? So where does your journey begin? Where does your maintenance reliability journey begin? Where does your managing of assets journey begin? I'm going to steer clear of asset management for now. Okay, that's a higher echelon, higher, bigger picture, as they call it, um, where all of these things are even smaller subsets of. But what we're talking about is um, what is the basic building block? Okay, so if, yeah, yeah, I'm a CRL, and yes, we do study the dogma of uptime elements and the doctrine, rather, of uptime elements. And within the uptime elements, if you look at the elemental structure of how that was put together, the very first element is criticality analysis. Now, think about that from a periodic scientific chart of elements. And what is the first element in that chart? Hydrogen. All other elements are built from the basic one element of hydrogen. So therefore, it makes sense as well that criticality analysis and the criticalness and understanding that of which criticalness means is essential, fundamental, and is a basic building block to the rest of everything you're going to be doing in your maintenance reliability journey. And so when we talk about asset criticality, we found that there's just too much conflation out there amongst the community of practice now, much like over the last, I would say, definitely 30-plus years has been conflation with the difference between work priorities versus asset criticality versus uh, work order types, okay, and things of that nature. And then um, not even a basic understanding of a, I would say, one of the uh, oldest features of planning and scheduling or tools that you would use is rhyme ranking index and rhyme and understanding it and its concept. Um, so therefore, asset criticality became, once again, just like work order types, very conflated. It's one field in your CMMS. It's one place and you end up getting six ways a Sunday of what it is. <laughs> right? Yep. Just like work order types. You, 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 that's all over the place. And a lot of conflation, a lot of misunderstanding. And if you take that mindset of, of conflation and misunderstanding, and you're going off on a, on a vector or a trajectory that's off course just a tad bit at the beginning, where you're going to end up is going to be far away from the target. Okay, that's just basic physics, right? Yep. And so, therefore, when we talk about, let's go back to the basics. Okay. Let's talk about asset criticality, and let's understand what it is, what is it. And um, so, yeah, I do talk about asset criticality a lot. I talk about it when I'm on client sites, face-to-face. Uh, -face. I'm um, talking about it when I'm just implementing a CMMS. Um, I'm talking about it every chance I can. And um, this is actually a service, too, that we sell under Fluke Reliability. It's an asset criticality workshop. Um, and we're finding that it's positioned where it needs to be at the beginning. So when you're coming on board with a new CMMS, 
I urge you to take a, another look at your approach to asset criticality. Okay. And uh, that's where we start educating or what we call re-educating or get back to the basics. With asset criticality, it's all about the capacity assurance, okay, if you think about it. And it's uh, objectifying an overall criticalness of the asset value to the organization as a whole, all right? And that's what we need to be looking at. Um, so I'm probably going to jump ahead a little bit. So, you know, why – is it important to do criticality and why is it to understand it? Well, number one, I said the word objective and that's what we need to focus on, not subjective. And I find it interesting, James, that when I teach these courses and these classes, I'll ask you to come with, what is your gut feeling? What do you think is the most critical asset in your asset registry? And I would have anywhere from five to 10 people in the class. And it's interesting enough. Um, We've got five to ten different ways that they think about their assets. Yep. <laughs> well, guess what that equates to? Five to ten different approaches, which means five to ten different paths. And it's all by knee-jerk, gut feeling. It's reactive. And so, therefore, right off the bat, you're practicing reactive maintenance. And yep. you don't even know it. Absolutely. So with those being so subjective, how do organizations actually determine asset criticality? Well, they need to, first of all, come together as a team. Okay. And this team will be your core team. Here in Fluke Reliability, we follow what's called the 10 Keys approach, which is a, a method of change where key step number one calls for core team. Who's the stakeholders? We need cross-representation, okay? I don't just need my most senior wrench turner at the table, okay? I need to know from a cross-representation point of view all the stakeholders at the table because I need something that's called consensus, and we've got to have consensus. Okay, so now I'm starting to point back to who owns reliability. Right? It's the consensus. Not just one, not just maintenance, not just your maintenance manager, not just your planner scheduler, not just um, whoever is uh, long in the tooth when it comes to being in the community of practice. It doesn't belong. It belongs to the organization as a whole. So I need my core team. I need to get them together. And we need to understand the key step number two is called core team familiarization. So we need to make sure that everybody that's at the table understands what criticality is, what it isn't, what it can do for the organization as a whole. Okay. And so once we've gotten that established and we can understand the use cases for which criticality is going to be applied against, and it's answering these questions for you of the WIFM, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for the organization as a whole? Not necessarily me as a planner scheduler, although there is a good WIFM for you for having asset criticality. Think about it, operations manager. What's the WIFM for you to have an objectified meaning of asset criticality across the board that we've adopted as consensus? What does it mean to you, maintenance manager? What does it mean to you, Mr. Planner Scheduler? What does it mean to you, Mr. Senior Technician? What does it mean to you, Mr. Procurement? Okay. What does it mean to you? 
organization all the way up to the business office. So what we need to do is we need to objective, objectify as best as possible the criteria for actually making this um, analysis, okay? Because make no difference. Analysis is an analysis. But what we're trying to get to is called the assessment. And that is based on the judgment of the analysis, of the outcome. All right? So let's take a step back. We need consensus. We need to have core team understanding of the use case and why we're doing this. And we also need to have a core team understand the criteria for which we're going to be doing the analysis under. And so we need to come together and actually define what that criteria is going to be. And the criteria can be based on maintainability. It could be based on reliability. It can be based on safety. It can be based on operational context. It can be based on many different categories that are conducive and are relevant to you and your industry and where you are. And the organizational goals, I'm guessing, you want to make sure that those criteria are aligned with the stakeholders and their vision of the organization or plant and so on and so forth. So if we take care of these risk categories, if you will, in criticality, it'll help us improve our plant objectives. Absolutely. It's, it's, to un- it's really to open it up to line of sight is what we're looking to do here. It's one of the achievements of doing an asset criticality analysis from an objectified state. I need line of sight. Okay, I'm trying to remove emotion. I'm trying to remove ego. I'm trying to remove fear. And I'm trying to instill certainty. And I need consensus on this direction. Again, this is not a one-man band approach at all. Um, If you want to continue being reactive and have maintenance and operations always going at each other like cats and dogs, then... I can, you know, continue with your silo. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> you know? operation sees that asset's criticality much different than you. And you've never come together to get consensus. So yep. just to stay in that reactive syndrome. So it sounds like there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this. It's really customized towards the specific customer, maybe even site. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so whenever I'm doing these classes, um, I'll bring maybe four or five different tools, examples of, and, and share that with the team. And uh, I'll start with something simple, really basic. And they're all looking at each other, nodding their head up and down. And then I'll end up with one that's the most complicated criticality analysis on the face of the earth. And it was written for, obviously, a chemical processing plant, right? And <laughs> there is so much in, entailed with a chemical processing plant than there is for just a distribution center. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Or just a facilities maintenance, right? It, it's different. And so, again, operational context to that of the organization is what we're looking at. So if you are chemical, your criticality analysis tool is going to be pretty comprehensive. <laughs> pretty deep. Um, but if you're just distribution center or if you're facilities maintenance, it's not going to be as granular or complicated. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to scale that. We're going to scale the number of categories, 
What about the uh, ranking system within each one of those categories? Is it always a one to five, one to 10 type approach? Well, it can be, but from a best practice perspective, again, what we're looking at here is granularity. And so give yourself the granularity on your weighted scales. Don't just do one, two, three, four, five. All right, do one, three, five, seven, nine. Give yourself the space. Give yourself the granularity. And you can also score yourself on a summation or a percentile. And I would recommend mixing it up. Have some of the categories would be a sum. Some of the categories would be ranked on a, a one to 100 percentile. And then give your percentile rankings, whether it be low of a 10 to a high of a 90 to 100, give yourself the granularity and in your inclusions there. Again, as a consensus, as the core team, discuss the categories, discuss the actual inclusions that are going to be in each of the category and the weighted values that each of those inclusions are going to have and give yourself more as much granularity as possible. I mean, if we want to look at, and if our total goal is to look at, you know, we're scheduling anywhere between four to 600 hours per week of work, okay, versus I'm only scheduling 100 hours per week of work. Which one needs to be more granular? Yep. Yeah, and I think that granularity granularity is critical you know if we work with organizations doing something similar and you know we'll generally take their data and we'll plot it um, and if I see a you know an even distribution so a standard bell curve or a skew right skew left that generally tells me you don't have enough of that distribution uh, mm -hmm. take, taking place so we need to get that granularity so a general rule of thumb that we always use is we use a square root number of assets and I'll explain it because if I just say that, people think I'm crazy. But give you an example. We have 100 assets we got to rank criticality against. So the square root of 100 is 10, right? So that tells me I have to have 10 variables within my, within my um, criticality worksheet. That could be five categories of a scale of 1 to 2, two categories with a scale of 1 to 5, and so on and so forth. So we do that and it tells us, gives us an idea how many categories or what's the scale within each one as a quick rule of thumb to kind of, you know, get the group working in the right direction for how mm -hmm. big or complex does this thing have to be? Exactly. You know, that gives you the baseline, gives you where you need to start or at least a good starting point. Another piece to understand, too, is even though you've adopted as a criticality analysis and you've got consensus of your team, your core team, this is a living document. This will grow or it may shrink, okay? But it needs to be reviewed and it needs to be a continuous improvement review every year. Is our asset criticality tool hitting the mark, okay? Is it cover all the bases? Is it complex enough or is it too complex? You need to revisit the tool, okay? Just like you need to revisit your maintenance strategies that you're got applied against your assets, things change. The only thing that's constant in maintenance is change. Yep. So everything we do within being maintenance practitioners is managing change. And yep. that's what we're doing. Change of state, right? From uh, operational state that is 100% by design state, and then it starts to degrade over time. And then how do we manage the change back to 100% design state operation? 
right? Yep. And also, how do we change what is left of the PF curve, right? So we're being reactive to the change on the PF curve, but how do we influence what's left of the PF? Of course, the inherent reliability. How do we move that needle? And how do we go about dividing up our valuable resources that we have and attacking what needs to be attacked, what needs to be the focus, okay? Not the squeaky wheel, not our favorite um, asset of the week or, or asset of the month, okay? But from a very objective manner, what I think, do I need to focus on first, second, third, fourth, fifth? And I think that regular review is critical. So you said once a year we go back and review it. I would challenge organizations to not just review that once a year, but if there's a significant shift in their organization or their site, for example, we're adding a line or we're removing Absolutely. a line, a major change in the product or SKU mix we're running. Those, right. we need to go back and review that criticality because that's that may shift dramatically what we need to focus on now. Absolutely. It's called operational context. And yes. that always changes. And so, therefore, when you do have an operational context of an asset that changed, redo it as a criticality. Yep. And you may find you're spending more time doing FMEAs, PMOs, or you're managing your work for a line very different than what you were doing six months ago as a result yes. of that. Absolutely. You're trying to stay ahead of the curve, not get caught in the curve. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. Now, here's a question for you. What level should I be doing this asset criticality at? I've seen organizations say, you know what? We do it at a line level. I've seen others do it at an asset level. I've seen organizations do it at a sub asset or child asset level. Where do we where do we do this at? Yep. So that's a great question. You know, where do we begin? <laughs> where do we start? Um, I guess it all depends on how diverse is your hierarchy and your taxonomy. You know, because you got clients out there, James, that they're, they're not that that granular themselves in their hierarchy at all and they go by function and if we think about functional assembly and that's the deepest level i guess well there's your level have you gone below do we have assets that are performing as a functional location that are a subset of the functional assembly yes mm -hmm. well you're writing corrective action work orders to that aren't you yes do you have a maintenance strategy that is overarching, or is this maintenance strategy diving deeper into some of those child assets? So, in other words, do they have their own PM schedules? Do they have their own things that are addressed um, solely on those assets to eliminate, mitigate failure modes? Have you gone that deep? And so, we also talk about the chicken before the egg, right? So, what do you do first? You, you know, what if I've already done my FMEAs? And I'm like, okay, so you did that before you did your asset criticality, right? Okay, so how'd you know what FMEAs to go after? First, second, third, fourth. What percentage of your viable resources did you expend? Or if you're doing root cause or root cause failure analysis, which is on the other side of the, of the pyramid going down, um, what assets are qualifying for you to 
undergo such activity. Um, so I guess they, they, the big question is, you know, what's the whiff them? You know, what, what's in it for me for doing the asset criticality? And once you've done the analysis and now you're ready to do the assessment, the assessment is where you're going in and you are, uh, qualitatively defining each of the levels and what we call tiers. And I often love it. I'll go out and say, who in here can tell me what's in their tier one bucket? And they'll look at me and they'll go, oh, well, let's see. Oh, so what is tier one to you? Well, we heard it mentioned. Who mentioned it? This, you know, where'd you hear that from? And every time, James, it's, oh, well, on this website or this vendor. <laughs> there, and so they said tier one. I'm like, okay, we're guilty at fluke. I can tell you that. But uh, we'll go ahead and say, yeah, for your tier one assets, you, you need to be looking at, you know, especially protective maintenance tools and techniques. Is that always a truism? Okay. Yep. It, and see, you know, I've always used these different tiers as well, and I kind of separate them, not necessarily where you have to use predictive maintenance, but here's how you define the strategy for that asset, right? Some might go through an FMEA versus a traditional PM optimization, and we're going to let those tools tell us what we need to do. Yes, exactly. So if you take your criticality analysis and then go in and do the assessment on the analysis summaries, all right, their sums, the values. And if we're looking at the the 80-20 rule, of course, we would say top 20% of your assets are what we're trying to focus on. Well, that might not be the case for your tier one. Your tier one might be the top 10%. Yep. Okay. Your may be the top 7%. It may be somewhere in that range. Okay. So take the tier ones and then tier twos. And then tier threes and then tier fours. I really don't see the need for going beyond tier four, but I have seen tier fives. And then overlay that to the PF curve. Take that output and put it over the PF curve. Doesn't that tell you a story? So your tier ones, what maintenance reliability tools and techniques are you probably going to expend on those assets? Well, the first thing that comes to mind are the ones that you just named, James, right? Or RCM. Right? What approach are you going to expend and spend time and effort on to try to understand the functionality of the asset further and so that we can identify each of the failure modes, which are just basically leaves on a tree, if we think about it. That's all the failure modes are. Each leaf is a failure mode. And so we've got to understand the functionality of the asset first. So are we going to go out there and do all that for – 100% of your asset registry? No. Are we going to know objectively which ones we do need to go after and use these types of tools on? Yes. Yep. And it's, again, objective. Not subjective. Remember, I would ask these five to ten people and say, you know, which ones are the most that they would think? Interesting story, James, is when we're done with the analysis and I teach you how to do it, it's almost inevitable that there is at least 50% of those assets that you brought in that you thought were the most critical ends up being tier two or tier three. Yep. This, <laughs> the look on people's faces when you do a proper criticality analysis. Yes. They, stuff they thought was critical is not things they didn't think was critical are. It's amazing. Yes. And, and they would come back and actually have those that end up in tier one and go, that, didn't even, that wasn't even on my list. Yep. <laughs> so there you have it. 
<laughs> it's an eye opener. So we're using this criticality analysis, like you said, to drive what tools are we going to use to ensure capacity of those assets? What else are we using it for? Does it inf- influence spare parts, work management, other Absolutely. things? As a matter of fact, that's one of the categories that should be in your analysis. It should be spares leads time. It should be um, everything that's got to uh, do with supply chain and spare parts. Okay. Um, I would, as a reliability engineer and or I would say underneath reliability engineering where you don't actually have this person with the title and you got many different titles performing this role, I would be interested to see what assets score the highest in a percentile of 1% to 100% on spare leads. You know, what specific gravity, what assets had that heavier specific gravity on that? Well, let's go in there and make sure that those assets have your bill of materials correctly identified. Make sure that you do understand the parts that are needed to be stored and in stock and then help you understand um, a little further about reorder point levels, safety stock levels, demand pool levels. Those are the assets that we need to go in there and do a little bit more deeper dive and to make sure that we have our spare parts program is optimized and in great shape and our service levels are, are set correctly. So all this came from the asset criticality analysis so showing us which ones we need to be focusing on. And not just out there doing gut check, knee jerk, spur of the moment, reactive, I think, because that's not the best way to store or stock a storeroom at all. Okay? Period. We don't want to get in the business of stocking a plant within a plant. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that's that's capital money, and uh, that we don't need to be tying up. All right, just just don't need to do that. So yeah, so there are other areas that that this has helps. Now, what about maintainability? What about some opportunities here? What assets out here actually um, have poor supportability? Right. Well, wow, we didn't ever have to think about that until we did the analysis. But, man, we had a lot of assets out here that scored really low on supportability. Okay, well, those are the ones we need to get after and see if we can't close those gaps. Because if it wasn't high in supportability and it was low in supportability, we have a problem. What about serviceability? If you had these assets that are really low in serviceability, from a reliability engineering perspective, that's the ones I'd be looking at. How can we design in maintenance? Yep. Design out maintenance. Design in reliability. What can we go after? Where are our opportunities? And again, we're not just chasing squeaky wheels or the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month at that moment in time. Yeah. So this criticality tool we can leverage in so many different ways, mm-hmm. not just what tools or what parts, but like you said, start deep diving some of these other topics where if we have poor maintainability, Okay, when we start designing new equipment or bringing new bringing in new equipment, what do we need to consider to overcome some of these? If we're mm-hmm. doing a capital expansion, can we include scaffold or uh, platforms and walkways so we don't have to build scaffolding every time? Right? These are the types of things we can look at with this type of tool. Yes. Objectify. Absolutely. Our, our forecasting of reliability. But the biggest problem is I don't see organizations take the time to do this up front. Yeah. So, well, because they hit the ground running, you know, because if we think about uh, how things are normally happening, right, uh, procurement procures the, the asset. 
probably didn't include maintenance in this decision making whatsoever. Um, they get the asset, they, it's put into play. It's put into play, and you immediately have to now put into what's called inherent availability work. All right. And so right now, right off the bat, we're behind the, the eight ball. Yep. And and I'm handed this inherent availability that doesn't have 100% capacity. It's been hindered, and now the maximum capacity it can have is, say, we're around 87%. So now I'm busy trying to maintain an 87% maximum ceiling capacity of an asset. So now I'm right off the bat, reactive. Yep. <laughs> So it's a vicious circle. Absolutely. But the only way you're going to get out of it is if you set aside some time to do these types of things. Yes. Yes. It is It is a basic building block. Go back to the basics. If you haven't done it, I highly encourage you do it. And if you have adopted a, a asset criticality approach, and there are different approaches, as you and I are real aware um, maybe let's go back and revisit it. Remember I talked about that annual review? Let's do it. Who created this asset criticality analysis within your organization? Was it just one individual? Or was this a core team that did it with consensus? Yep. Okay. Well, maybe it's time to bring the core team together. Let's get the gang back together. Let's get the band back together, <laughs> and let's look at this and uh, see if we can't uh, move the needle and make it better. All right. Excellent. Now, you know, we talked a lot about criticality here, but what's the one thing you want our listeners to uh, take away from the conversation today on criticality? Well, you know, it, there's this term drop that uh, you've heard me say it probably, and, and I've talked about it before, but um, understanding criticalness. Okay. And I teach this when I talk, when I teach the class, I tie criticalness back to who owns reliability. Okay, and so we need to make sure that we are providing certainty in our decision making and the tools and techniques that we use. All right, so look at asset criticality as a means to gain consensus and they take a step towards certainty. And so the criticalness in is in doing so. Okay, it's the quality of. So think, okay, we go back to capacity assurance. Think about quality assurance. Think about that and criticalness, okay? Be the critic. You should own it to the organization and to yourself to be the critic. So get together, get your core team, and let's all be the critics, and let's focus on criticalness, and then let the criticality come out as it may. Okay, but it's objectively done with consensus and certainty. Yep, that's that's about the only key thing that if I had to pound it in somebody's head, that's what I want to drive. All right, perfect. And I know you got a couple of posts on that, so I'll put links to those in the show notes as well, so people can easily find them. Yes. Now, speaking of that, Greg, you are active on LinkedIn. And yes. usually at events, you're running all over the place. Where can people find out more about you, fluke, reliability, you know, criticalness, all these things we've talked about today? All these wonderful things. So we can head out to um, Emaint's website, actually, emaint.com forward slash asset 
hyphen criticality hyphen workshop. Um, take a look at what we have to offer here from Fluke Reliability as far as an asset criticality workshop and how we can work with your team. Get this consensus. Let's get on the path of consensus. Um, and let's get everybody back to the basics. So definitely can go out there to our email.com forward slash asset hyphen criticality hyphen workshop. Take a look at that. Um, can also reach out to me in LinkedIn and also look at our excelix.com website as well and our fluke.com. All right. Excellent. So those are some great resources there. I will link to you in the show notes so people mm-hmm. can easily find them. Any other favorite resources you want to share on this topic? Uh, besides uh, just any active participants out there that are in the community of practice, just get involved. All right. Excellent. Get involved. And more, you know, uh, I would say your Dishio for sure. I would say everything that you're doing, James, because uh, we're all in this together. Um you know, all we're trying to do is, is, is make a, a world a better place than, than it was yesterday. And so we're looking to help everybody out there and uh, looking at helping to prioritize what do we do? How do we go about it? Well, community practice will show you. They will guide you. Yep. All right. Excellent. Well, Greg, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today about mm-hmm. this topic. I think a lot of organizations have some opportunities to improve in it. And you definitely gave us some insights to the why, the how, all those great things. So I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. I appreciate the effort too and the, and the time, James. Thank you so much. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.